0: Out of the 94 Best Picture winners, only one will be crowned the bestest of the best. You're listening to The Quest for the Bestest from Backlog Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Tucker Hazel, Tanner Dykstra, and Abram Buner. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlog Banter. The episode gets started in just a second. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Quest for the Bestest. It's calendar year 2023, and we are here to talk about Amadeus. My name is Timo, of course, joined by Tucker, Tanner, and Abram. And uh, as your conductor for this episode of The Quest for the Bestes, I'm so pleased to be back in 2023. We are keeping on, keeping on. But uh, as you, as you, uh, we got, we're going to talk about this movie. Don't worry. But today, more than most days, we have housekeeping to do. So... I'm going to do our normal quest housekeeping, and then I hand it over to Tucker for a little additional quest housekeeping. A big announcement. A big announcement from Tucker kind right of. after That's I tell you... announcement. <laughs> right after I tell you that last episode, way back last year, it, oh my god, I haven't done a quest episode in a year. Not really, but... That's um, not the saying. <laughs> we talked about In the Heat of the Night, which we decided was so good that it deserved a spot at number 10 on our list. We gave in the heat of the night, a 9.2 average score. Very high, very well-deserved Sidney Poitier. Man, we really, really like that film. So if you liked it or you'd never heard of it or you hated it, I would recommend you go check out that review. Um, it's it's one for the history books. Now, yes. uh, well, our normal quest housekeeping dictates that I must hand it off to Abram for our featured comment, we've had quite a long time to build up to uh, some sort of comment from somebody, somewhere. Abram, did you Please. find
1: something? If
0: we have just
1: one comment, Timo, and it comes from one of our many sons, Dan's. Yeah. Um, can, ca- we can always following.
0: count on Dan's. We can always mm. count
1: on Dan's. He says, Great movie, and you all had great points that you covered. I was 11 when this came out, and we we're not allowed to see movies like this. We went to Disney, Doris Day, Don Knotts movies. I didn't see this until I was an adult. I loved it for all the reasons he spoke of. I think it's the biggest. I think it's biggest competition that year was the graduate, but this was better. Of course, That's the fun. the the academy nominated Doctor Doolittle as well. If you want to see how bad the nominations get, just watch that. I put in the, in the heat of the night toward the top of the list. It just showed at the theaters about a month ago. We went and enjoyed it immensely.
0: Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Thank
1: you, Dance. Yeah. Thank you, Dance.
0: All right, Tucker. You are the adjudicator of this announcement speak forth and let the people know
2: yeah this is time for a very special announcement because the biggest change in the history of not only quest but our entire youtube careers is coming up we are deciding to split our channel into twain Uh, we are putting the movie content on a brand new channel entitled backlot banter which you've seen floating around as the name of a show or two it always it's 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 flip-flopping around like what does this actually mean Mm -hmm. Uh, but what the channel as you know it now is going to move to just being our video game content the discussions that everyone i do our reviews our backlog banter official series and all the movie stuff that means quest that means our weekly movie reviews that means our monthly backlog banter series that means anything we do for oscars discussion or award season discussion that all is getting kicked over to a new channel so if you want to keep up with all this nonsense go subscribe to that channel that link will be in the description once that channel is up. It won't be up as the time of uploading, but it'll be up for the rest of history. So, you know, most of time, it'll be available yes. in the description. If you're but if you're it's... watching this at some point in history, that's a great yeah. time to go look. Back lot banter. That's B A C K
3: L O T B A N T E R. They sound similar, so I feel like I gotta sound it
0: out. And uh, yeah. and links will be all over everywhere on the on the rate on our B L B channel as it stands now. So. Hopefully, if you open the YouTube app in between the time that this video releases and when uh, the next Quest video releases, you should be notified and uh, able to head on over there and uh, of course, help us out by subscribing and throwing a comment down below where, uh, where you think we need to uh, hear how we're wrong. That really helps the algorithm. Um,
1: yes absolutely and, and keep in mind it's not changing audio feeds honestly i don't know if our audio feed is called back log banter i have no clue but yeah, wherever, wherever you that. listen yeah wherever you listen to the podcast right now it's not moving yep no um and also keep in mind you go to a new channel you'll find a playlist of all the old quest videos so it's gonna be real yeah. simple it's gonna be straightforward and also ain't...
2: if you just look up quest and then the movie title you're gonna find it so it's really gonna be no different but also yeah.
1: know who's reviewing amadeus you know what i mean people are gonna find these movies they're gonna find sure. quest you're gonna find it. you're gonna be fine trust mm-hmm. me yeah. You're going to be fine. We'll get to this
3: together. But 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 I think it was also worth pointing out that uh, the first Quest videos that will be going up there will not be particularly this series. We'll be talking about the uh, the new Best Picture nominees for the 2023 Oscars. That uh, is right. Yes. Yeah. And we'll be kicking it off with the potential presumed, whatever you want to call it, winner. Everything, everywhere, all at once. So... If you haven't caught that 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 uh that big hit of 2022, make sure to watch that before we kick off our best picture nominees discussions.
0: Yeah. So quest for the bestest continues on as normal. We gotta finish this thing. We are so close. We get another. I'm so happy to hit the uh, the nominees again this year. It's uh, it's our third year doing it, and um, right. man, we got a good slate. I'm looking forward to the, the, all that. Almost ready to
2: drink. <laughs> Almost. Almost.
0: <laughs> Comparatively. Uh huh. All right. Enough messing around, Amadeus. Does it get uh, one yawn from you? Two yawns? Our emperor, emperor. I don't know who's our emperor today. Who would we look to to see if this movie was good or not? I don't I'll know. What did you Let's think? Go with Abram. Abram? What did you think of this movie? Pick me. Wow.
1: I think <laughs> I think Amadeus is awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. I I think uh, I I think that. While watching it, they were individual moments when I thought, man, I don't like this. And mm-hmm. when sort of the lion's share of my criticism is hinged upon individual moments of the film where I'm like, I'm kind of off the train here, I means it's a pretty damn good movie. Because I find Amadeus on the whole to be close to flawless. I, I think that these are some of the best performances we've seen for Quest. I think that the editing is particularly remarkable, the use of sound. I'm sure we'll yeah. turn it over to Timo for that. And mm-hmm. just the, the ability of the film, not only to make classical music cool, but the ability to make a three-hour-long film about classical composers compelling, mm-hmm. and I would go as far as to say enthralling, as your buzzword Ooh. of the day, mm-hmm. uh, I think is incredibly impressive. So I
2: loved Amadeus. Mm -hmm. I also really like this movie as well. Uh, I think what really compels me about this movie is that it's not a biopic. It is a complete subversion of what uh, real Mozart's story was. They're they're adding extra elements. They're creating this, you know, uh, this rivalry, this one-sided rivalry, ostensibly, between Salieri and Mozart that blossoms and ebbs and flows across the course of the movie but is through that rivalry and the fact that it's not just based on history it's not trying to hit the big moments of mozart's life that makes this movie so compelling it's just a story a really compelling rivalry story with these themes about artistry and mediocrity and what it means to be involved in the arts in the time like this that happens to feature people who were real at one point but they're so completely removed from our modern life that they feel like characters anyway. So I really like how, while well, technically based in history, this feels like a grand operatic ridiculous story that also shines a light on how ridiculous some of these people were, the, the high class was. It's got these really interesting subversion of of themes and of class in this movie that I found really, really compelling.
3: Uh Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to dissent from any of this. I found Uh, Amadeus Amadeus was probably the one uh, of the remaining films that I haven't seen, the one that I was anticipating the most to watch because I only hear good things and all those good things are very well warranted. Amadeus is a pretty incredible film uh, all around, I would say. And I think it really comes down to the writing and performances for me um, just because on a macro scale, I love the framing device of Amadeus because we've had uh, pick your lion's share of boring best picture biopics or good best picture biopics but what this one does it's called amadeus but the main character is not amadeus the main mm-hmm. character is mm-hmm. the one the only antonio salieri mm-hmm. and uh i just find that fascinating that our the character that we are following is essentially the antagonist to amadeus's story though amadeus doesn't even know it
2: it's, mm-hmm. such yeah, well, a fascin- it's the king's king richard of its day
3: <laughs> In a lot of ways, I think so. Um, but no, obviously the production design is amazing. The direction is amazing. The lighting, the sound, the everything. But I wanted, I really want to dedicate time talking to F. Murray Abraham as Antonio Salieri, Tom Holch, correct, yes. Tucker? Tom Holch as Amadeus, uh, and the other characters that revolve around this really one sided rivalry that the film is concerned with.
0: Mm hmm. Well, Tanner, you. You seem very excited. I, uh, if you could imagine, I'm not going to dissent. I like this movie also, um, and I agree. I want to talk about these performances because I think you're exactly right. They really land us in a in a spot where it's just so easy to understand what is going on. Um, I think the film does an excellent job modernizing, and yet without losing the flavor of this, um, you know, antique historical period. Uh, what time? What I don't remember what century we're in.
2: Don't know. Don't care. It's not (laughs) 1970s.
0: Who knows? But they they, kind of speak like they speak in a way that I can understand, and they act sort of in ways that I can I can gather, and so I find myself being very interested in this film the whole way through. I really care about what's going on, and towards the end of the film, I think that I think this rivalry narrative is taken in such interesting ways. I think that in and. Unexpected ways, where the rivalry is like unfulfilled. It's an unfulfilled yeah. rivalry to, uh, to spoil the forty-five-year-old movie. But I, um, I, I, I really enjoyed it, and I think Abram, you're also right that there is really interesting stuff going on, framing-wise, editing-wise. I didn't pick up on so much awesome, cool sound moments. Or at least I can't remember any right now. But there are a couple of big ones. I can. Well, actually, you, um, you're wrong. I'm wrong. I'm talking about <laughs> you, me. you. You are wrong. Oh, okay. No, me. Timo, you are yeah. wrong. Um, there are some great sound moments. I think the okay. sound editing, now that I start diving into it and thinking about it more, which I will explain. Uh, I that, huh? No, of course not. Of course. Who do you think I am? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's great. I think there's, there's just awesome moments all around. I am curious, though, Abram, what were the moments that, like, I don't know didn't didn't quite pull you in. didn't uh you know were those momentary aberrations let's say that I, we don't have to talk um, about it now ooh, but yeah, I mean, uh, if we're,
1: yeah if you want to start with if you sure. want to start by shitting on the movie i'm more than happy to <laughs> well no, <laughs> it, it'll leave a good taste in the audience's mouth at oh. the end i guess yeah yeah i mean he, i'll I'll, fr- I'll frame it i'll frame it this way um when i opened up amadeus i was like Oh, God, it's three hours long. Because uh, I will note, by the way, we watched the director's cut. The yep. actual cut has basically been scrubbed from the internet.
0: Um, None of it. So we it, don't really know what they it, added versus there's... I know a few things. 20 minutes okay. of bonus footage. I don't know.
1: Yeah. So it's not quite as substantial as the, as the um, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition, but it's oh. a pretty significant amount of new footage.
0: Um,
3: yeah.
1: But my concern going in is like, oh, this, one's gonna, this is going to be sort of a a dry... A historical drama, and it's going to drag. Mm, yeah. And I can think of really one particular sequence that did, and and that's when um, Amadeus is watching vaudeville that he has no part of, and there's a horse on stage, and and the horse is pooping out <laughs> sausage links and yeah. various things, and it's and it's fun, but it's a very prolonged sequence. It's it's one of many of sequences of long choreographed opera but yeah. what I think is different about this one and sort of left me a little bit detached is that our core players Salieri and um Amadeus are have no hand in the composition or anything mm-hmm. We're we're kind of up in the balcony watching this so I I, I I was lost there a little bit but I think it's partially because those sequences otherwise are so strong I think the film does a very good job of making opera Feel very, very personal, despite so much of the yeah. sort of the appeal or the awe evocation of, of opera, is that it feels enormous. But we're always seeing what's happening on stage, and then we're cutting back to Amadeus covered in sweat doing his composition and everything. And there's a real sense of that. Well, I hope he's like not that.
2: composing at the moment?
1: Or his orchestra? I don't know. I don't conducting. know. If it's the music. Because he's doing his conducting. There you go. And, and I think that's a really successful device for framing almost the the personal stakes of the show, as we're jumping between conductor and stage and audience. With the exception of that one vaudeville act, I mm-hmm. think there's always this real sense of dynamic
0: tension in, in these opera moments. Mm-hmm. It makes me think, Abram, because I will be real. I do not care about opera. I am uninterested. I It's not... Everyone raise
2: your hand. <laughs> Woo! Me neither.
0: <laughs> Say I. Um... But because of these personal stakes, because of all this context that the film gives us as to why this opera matters or where it came from in the writing of it and and the actual, even though the film, I think, delights in showing us a lot of the opera and it does a good job at making it, for the most part, um, not like super boring as it would be to go see the opera in real life, um, and it makes it entertaining. I get to hear cool music. I get to see some dancing and some impressive singing. And uh, and then at the end, I get to see all these characters like interact. And there's always new drama as a result of as one of these many operas that we see. And so I think the film yeah. very much succeeds in making a, a a medium that is difficult for modern audiences to get very much into. Very like filmic centered. It like works because it's in a movie and it uses the moviness yeah. of the uh, of it's story of the way we tell this narrative of Amadeus to its advantage in using other mediums to like prop up all of our messages and our, our really I think our character building all happens is this movie. It's a character study. I mean, the, the plot is not like so many things, do not so many things just happen, but so much yeah. happens in terms of what these characters think and how they look at each other. So that is very, yeah. a very enjoyable thing for me to watch.
2: Mm hmm. <laughs> The editing, I think, is why the film keeps itself so engaging for that long runtime. Is This is a snappy film, pacing-wise, for as long as it is, because you're never in one place for a very long time, or even when you are in one place, you're cutting around in that one place. So there's not... The the, the extended sequence of watching the vaudeville on stage, I, I think you're absolutely right. Tanner and I had a similar reaction to that scene, where we're sitting there like, this feels like something that was maybe extended in the director's cut of like, This doesn't feel like particularly pertinent to the story. And there were a few of those moments, especially like when, when we are watching opera go on stage, I'm like, okay, I wish this was trimmed down a little bit so we could get back to what I am, you know, hungry to see, which is how, how is Salieri really thinking about this? What is his plan after he's seen this to go do whatever he does about town? Um, But I think that it's also the framing, not only of this through a one-sided rivalry, but through narration. Salieri's narration uh, that we start the movie with that keeps this movie interesting right from the start because we start off we see that Salieri has attempted suicide. He is complaining that or not complaining but like he's telling people that he's gone crazy because uh and he wants to end his own life because he was the one that caused the death of Mozart as we learn throughout the film that was his intention but was that actually fulfilled? I think we can talk about a little bit in terms of Salieri's you know motivation. Um, but watching him sit in this jail cell slash insane asylum hospital area with the telling the priest his story is really really interesting because you watch this man who for the vast majority of the film we in his we're in his shoes we're watching the world through his eyes uh tell the story of his past but not about really his past about this guy that he reveres his past and it's that interplay between Salieri's memory, the history of Mozart as an important classical figure, and the way that their rivalry informs his viewpoint, view of himself and his own history that makes this so much more compelling than your average biopic. Again, as I said, it's not trying to tell the highlights of Mozart's life. It's about Salieri's view of Mozart as a great composer, as his his friend-slash-rival-slash-whatever, but also the film is especially in the later parts, also about Mozart's personal life. And I think the fact that we're balancing all these different uh, perspectives and themes through uh, Salieri's uh, retrospection on his history is really, really fascinating. And the fact that we're cutting between flashbacks and quote-unquote real time keeps it really, really snappy. It's because maybe you're spending a little bit too much time in the past and then boom, you're you're back out, and Salieri is an old man. And he's sitting in his chair, and he's he's waving his hands around. And you're like, hmm, this is interesting again. And you can cut back to any other point in time after that. Tucker, I think you bring up a
3: great point about how Salieri reveres Mozart, but I think he the the most interesting aspect of this film is how he reviles him at the same time. Mm. It is the inward place a creature. Thank you. Thank you it It is the it is the conflict that Salieri feels within himself about Mozart and how yeah. that develops over the course of the film that is so interesting to me. And I think F. Murray Abraham is so good at portraying that with his with the dialogue reading, but also just the facial acting that he does. I think of a few key moments towards the beginning of the film when, he has to convince himself that this piece that he heard from Mozart at the very beginning of the film is a fluke. You know, this this uh, grotesque debaucherous man cannot be the voice of God, uh, as uh, as because that's how Salieri views music. It is the the voice of God that is spoken through him and many other composers. He's like it has to be a fluke, and then we get to the point where Amadeus visits him in the Emperor of Austria's palace, and uh, Salieri has written this piece. For uh, the, the march for Amadeus to enter to, and on a moment's notice, Amadeus memorizes the piece, can play it from memory perfectly, I might add. As and, it says and, through
2: the subtitles, plays yeah. piece perfectly, which is really funny. <laughs>
3: and yet improves upon it, and Salieri knows this immediately. And you can see the disgust, the hatred, the envy on F. Murray Abraham's face, and it's fantastic, and th- those same like mixture of emotions come across throughout his performance in a number of moments. Uh, and then, of course, it gets a bit complicated towards the end, where he actually sits down with Mozart and writes the piece that he hired Mozart to secretly write for his own funeral. Uh, he writes it. He writes that piece with him, and you can see his demeanor soften a little bit. You can see that hatred sort of melt away as he really just lets himself bask in in mozart's genius and like this guy is incredible and i'm not envious anymore i'm just really excited to be working with him on this piece and then mozart dies and that is the grand irony of salieri's life salieri's role in this film the cruel irony
0: yeah i think yeah. the film makes a stupendously smart decision in in featuring salieri and and that that ending is, is I, I really, this is film just like, it sticks the landing really, really well. I think the ending, it so complicates everything that we've seen beforehand. It recontextualizes, it reframes it in a way where, where I, I look at Solieri and I'm just like, is he misguided? You know, he, he gets to write the piece at the end. We're, we're getting in the end. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. He gets to like, literally his wish was to write write the word of God in the music. And he kind of gets that wish yeah. in the end by being the one to write down what Mozart's doing. And logically speaking... The- He's God's stenographer. <clears throat> He's God's stenographer. And um, yeah. if you were to think, you know, logistically for that scene, the only way that anyone could keep up with Mozart in his state and his ways, like, oh, it's like this, and blah, 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 was if they were a pretty damn good, you know, Only like one spot behind him, composer, and so essentially only Solieri could be here to do that role in that moment. Even though he maybe he sets it up in the film, maybe he does. It's Mozart's own doing that he ends up in this state. I think that the way this film both gives him in a way that he doesn't want gives Solieri his goal. He 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 sort of realizes it, but then in the way that it's just also. Like taken from him, and he doesn't achieve his goal, and he he doesn't kill Mozart. Mozart kind of kills himself. That way is like a, such a it it makes our character, and when we get and then we cut back to him at the end. I can see that like pain in his eyes throughout the whole film, but only after mm-hmm. I've seen that final scene. And I think that sure. the this ending is one of one of a new favorite way to end a movie. I think.
3: Quick bit of trivia about that final scene when uh, Amadeus is dictating the score in his head to Salieri. Just because we we brought that up, um, uh, Tom Holch was actually skipping lines of dialogue that they had rehearsed to really get that uh, that confusion that hurriedness out of F. Murray Abraham. He's yeah. like he's skipping lines that they rehearsed, so he, F. Murray Abraham is like struggling to keep up with him in real as actors. So that's really cool.
2: And mm-hmm. actually, another piece of trivia about that Ooh. same moment is that Ooh. in that scene, in order to keep the the beat and the uh the tune of the song they're composing, they had earpieces in, uh, and there were moments where the earpiece wouldn't work, and that would create pauses and even more confusion. And so yeah. it's like the the uh the na- the improvised nature of that scene it comes from a, a confluence of different factors, which is really fascinating. and also, uh, I just want to uh, p- point this out that I think that that is one of the best uses of sound design. In this film is when Mozart is telling uh, Salieri which instruments do what and on what beat and you, you slowly hear the different instruments build in and match what uh, Tom Hulce is saying and singing to Salieri and they they build out and they build in and then like it builds to the actual song playing and that's like a really interesting moment of sound design sound mixing that that uses the the acting and the kinetic kineticism of that scene but like with the actual powerful music that Mozart wrote, whatever, 700, 800 years ago, something like that. Yeah. Tucker, you, you, like you
1: stole my point in part because I, I think that um, to the point about editing, be it visual or, or sound editing, the film is both incredibly stylish and sort of overt, but it also has this sort of continual ed- editing ideas, as you're saying, Tucker, about sort of this, Superimposition of music into thought and then music yeah. into this like almost pseudo diegetic space in the world where you know it does does Mozart hear this out loud is he is he hearing this music is this for the benefit of the audience I think that that sort of psychological line blurs a little bit by that choice which is really effective but the film is also that's a more that's comparatively subtle to like what is I think one of the match cuts of all time Get, get get this guy out of here get the get uh, that all get that space uh, Cooper, Odyssey match cut out of Stanley. here yeah because that uh the crumpled paper into the horses running in the field cut is fantastic oh yeah 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 the film is able to do these these very stylish and fast and effective cuts but it's also able to use these techniques that you guys have been discussing in this in this bedroom scene, and what is ostensibly just a long, long series of shot or reverse shot, yeah. as these two guys are talking, and that's it. It's not flashy, and but it's it's got this effective sound design, and it's just in a real really great encapsulation of as to so your point, Tanner, the strength of the performances, because there's there's you're talking about this sort of sense of improv and improvisation,
2: yeah. But there's
1: there's this much Actually, str- we have here
2: on backlog banter. <laughs>
1: Yes, well, a little good at it too there's this much in my opinion stronger sense of desperation that both of the actors communicate very very well they are like they're like two magnets you couldn't you couldn't pull their focus apart with a crowbar and and i think it's very easy to get sucked sure into that tried. also sure sure tried as as they're just going back and forth and, and you feel the panic you're like Mozart's doing all you gotta you gotta write down the 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 rest or whatever the hell you write down a sheet of music right you gotta take notes you gotta write down the letters and and so I think you just get sucked into that moment and it just exemplifies to me in in just a couple minutes of screen time why this film works so well
2: yeah and Mm -hmm. it is that is the culmination of all of these themes that are focused through Salieri's like weird obsession with with Amadeus that starts when he's a kid and wants to be Amadeus and wants to compose, and his dad keeps telling him, "Oh no, that you know that that kid's like a trained monkey." And you, you get these shots of the the streets of Vienna where just crazy shit is happening. A guy is swallowing a sword. There's there's a dog like walking on a ball, and you're like, I don't know what's going on in Vienna, but I I want to be there. I want to see some of this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he from childhood always revered the work of Mozart, and it isn't until he's disillusioned to the fact that the great composers the great creators of human history are not flawless human beings and they can be vulgar ridiculous wackos like mozart is in this film that the the themes of this film like really start to bubble up and you like can see uh on on f mary abraham's face the like the simultaneous like jealousy and pleasure and discontent of like realizing that like everything he's known is a lie and like he has to like reframe his life around Mozart not being a great guy and you watch that process sort of like ebb and flow throughout the movie because the movie really is a balancing act of Salieri being like oh my god this guy's ridiculous you know he's he's chasing women he's he's saying weird things to kings and then simultaneously like two minutes later Having having Mozart's music played to to him, and he'd be like, "Oh no, no! He is the voice of God. This is one of the greatest creators that ever lived, and he has to wrestle with this. And then he feels like stuck in the middle, and he's worried about his own mediocrity, as he continuously says throughout the film. And it's like the the ultimate form of oh God, what's what's the phrase? I'm forgetting it. But like, you're an artist, imposter and you syndrome. feel like imposter syndrome. Thank you. Uh, you he feels like he isn't." As great because he's being overshadowed by by Mozart, but also he recognizes in some levels that he's he's better in Mozart in social situations because Amadeus is a complete n- degenerate loser. <laughs> I,
3: I, <laughs> that, well, I would argue that I would argue that that maybe that uh, Salieri doesn't so much wrestle with this realization as he uh, copes with it in uh, in a particular way. He's hopped up on copium, as the kids like to say. <laughs> sure, and, and that particular copium is religion. He is he. I find it so interesting, and this is a, a whole other thing that I could get into. Salieri and religion are so interesting, in how, in how they are used in this film, because he essentially declares war on God. Yeah, he, uh, he says so much in, in the film, and he's he burns like, the cross. Exactly, he's like, God is clearly like out to get me specifically. Because of something that I did, I don't know what, but God is being cruel to me, and so I will inflict that subsequent cruelness onto the man, the, 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 the vehicle of God's cruelty to me. I'm a dass. Yeah. I will torture him. I will stick, kn- I will stick knives, uh, metaphorically, of course, into him by uh, torturing him, by making him create this piece that reminds him of his father, which is always uh, which we come to understand as a, a real point of anxiety. Amadeus I will you know embarrass his wife uh in in front of this servant of uh, of the the emperor of Austria uh, I'll, I'll do all these things because God did this to
2: me yeah his the thing that he has with God I, I don't know I'm not religious really man so I don't know what that whole you know that dynamic is like God forbid um but is that he thinks that God has given him the ability to understand Mozart's genius on a way that no one else can but he's also the only one that like can truly see how ridiculous it is that like the voice of God is in the the body and mind of the ridiculous little monkey boy. Um, and the th- the one thing I do want to say is what one of the things I do know about the uh, director's cut is that that scene where he embarrasses Constance, uh, is in only in the director's cut, uh, and that is probably the most explicitly malicious act that Celery that we saw does in the film. So that's an interesting choice, and I think probably. I don't know if you you guys want to discuss if it's a if it's a good thing or not to include that scene in the film, but I think it does quite reframe the the maliciousness of him as a character because if you think of it, otherwise he's doing some gossip, he's doing a little bit of backstabbing, but he's never is that is, is that something funny? We do we do, we do a, do a little, a little backstabbing.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little, a little I, I don't trolling. know. Is it really is it, that bad? You know, he's
2: doing a little bit of trying, but he he, he <laughs> sexually harasses his Constance, uh, Amedeo's yeah. wife, in that scene, and the inclusion of that scene in the director's cut is a, is a real moment of re- reframing Salieri's characters and his intentions. Like he's able to go to this length and do this to this poor woman who's just trying to help her husband, and uh, that's one of my least favorite scenes in the movie. And I I, I think it was at least for me, probably the right call to not include it in the theatrical cut. But also, mm. we can't watch the theatrical cut anymore, apparently. I don't really know, like, even how we would find it if it's been scrubbed from, from so, you know, but, internet mm-hmm. sources. Um,
3: Tucker, so why didn't you like that sequence? Is it because it's so openly malicious on yeah. Salieri's side? And-
2: yes, because Salieri, without that, is a character you can see as having this internal conflict about is he pleasing god what can he do like how is he going to orchestrate the downfall of amadeus but he's also someone who is res- respectful of music and and knows where to stop knows what boundaries not to cross and that's a boundary that he only crosses in this one scene and it makes me feel like he's more of a malicious character and without that i think he's more he's more nuanced and i don't see him mm. as like as openly and explicitly malicious for the rest of the film, after I've seen that sequence, that mm-hmm. makes me think
0: though. In the scene previous, where he tells Constance, "Be do you, do you want this job? Like, do you want your husband to get this job? You come see me later tonight." Do you think that yeah. scene also shows up only in the director's cut, or? Uh,
2: yeah, I, I think yes. I think uh, he actually I haven't seen it. I only like listened to a conversation about it. Um, but. I, th- I think he just leaves the room like when she's like offering him the papers. I think there's a little that, that moment of him like flipping through the pages, which is a really good editing oh, uh, sequence. Um, but too. then but then he hands it back to her and then just leaves the room when he she, like, asks mm-hmm. it, okay, so are you actually going to consider it? And that's like that's a pretty big change for like what our essentially our main character is like willing to do in this film. I just I mean, he's not a good person.
1: And, no. and and I, I don't think that the removal of that scene changes much. I mean, he, it's, it's sort of assume that he's, he goes and he lies that Mozart is molesting women so he can't get any pupils. I mean, he is very openly malicious. And it's sort of... Well, the, the entire film is about that. I don't think that that scene does anything for me other than reinforce what I feel is sort of at the heart of the movie which is larger than religion which is sort of like a a, a, a sort of a, a lack of of understanding of your place in the world when it changes around you sure and i i think that the film uses religion and art as sort of a lens into that because ultimately we we have that moment when it becomes um you know it, it shows up a couple times when when He's talking about doing La Figaro, but also when he's doing the first opera, and they're trying to figure out what language should it be in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this notion that um, Salieri and, and his sort of inner circle are maybe not the most talented composers, and yeah. you know, social voices and, and, and ruling body that they're, they're not the best, but they are the ruling class. And they're trying to hold on to their understanding of, of culture in the world. And you almost, in my opinion, you see Salieri try to reconcile this with God. He's like, you're showing me this guy who is subverting my belief in art and music. He's almost using that as a, as a way to deflect from the fact that really what he's seeing is a world that doesn't look like the one he understands. It's mm-hmm. a world that's being dominated by this young man who's vulgar and crass and wants to make music in 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 german and he doesn't care about italian and he doesn't he doesn't understand what the king is he doesn't understand what the king is saying he thinks there should be ballet and all this stuff i don't i I think what's interesting about salieri (laughs) is that i don't necessarily view him as purely evil as so much as unable to intuit the world around him anymore and he ascribes this the issues to God and to Constance and to music and to Mozart but it's really his own uh, his own ability to reconcile where he sits in a changing world that causes him to do all of that and I think the fact that he harasses, sexually harasses Constance but then leaves, to me that didn't feel premeditated. It felt like everything he's doing he doesn't know what he's going to do five seconds from now. hmm he is just making decisions. Because he doesn't have any understanding of the world anymore. And I think that's what makes his character compelling to me.
0: That's yeah. how I, I think the, how I read. Sorry, go ahead, Timo. That's how I read that whole scene also was that it was just like a, it's a snap decision that then, you know, any, he, cause he's vowed celibacy earlier in the film. Then immediately the implication is clear what he wants Constance to come and do that night. But that becomes an additional point of character drama wherein you know his desire to screw over mozart is so large that it leads him to do something that is against his vow to god and yeah. and he comes to realize that in that moment when when constance takes her clothes off and is like Oh, like that is the line I'm not crossing. He has a line, and it's and we find it in that scene. And he won't. He will traumatize her, and he will intimidate her. But he will not put a finger on her because that's breaking his vow to God. That's at least how I read that scene.
3: And I think that points to Salieri's narcissism. I think he's. I, I think that's something that's a, a strong element of his character uh, and how it plays with his religion. Because he is a narcissist who views himself as a lowly servant of God, but it's all self-imposed. He mm-hmm. says, "Oh, I'll be chaste, you know I'll be a, will be a servant, you know, I'll be so uh, philanthropic uh, in all these things. we I mean, never see him do any philanthropic acts, of course. Um, but, but as a well, way well, we to... do see
0: he says, I, oh I even I gave lessons and many of them for free, and it's like, oh the, all these women come over and get lessons from him and I'm like, yeah, those are the free lessons.
3: yeah. <laughs> But he—it's he, all self-imposed in a way that he's like, "This is my bargain with God, so I can be the greatest musician." And he views himself as that. It's—it does—it doesn't really matter whether or not he is until he meets Amadeus and what a person that he views as better than him from the from the word go, essentially. Um, and I think that's interesting. And I think he's a, a sociopath in that uh, it doesn't really matter who he hurts as long as so long as he hurts Amadeus. Uh, go What's sorry, yeah.
1: I think what's interesting about that point that you raised about his narcissism is that his ultimate plan to make Mozart write his own sort of like funeral procession is to the benefit of nobody but himself. Yeah,
3: he He gets to take credit for it though,
1: right? But it but it but ultimately he has been shown to be a praised musician. His Mm. his like his praise or status is never in jeopardy, he is always considered. Mozart to be a superior, he has always looked to for advice. He is given the award for having the most empowering or whatever it is, the most the best opera in Vienna is given to him.
2: His, he, got, he got the first Emmy. Yes. I think
1: so. his, his desire to have Mozart write that his own funeral music benefits nobody but him. Mozart, it's not like he's going to reveal to Mozart on his deathbed, look at what I made you do. It's not even that. It's an entirely internal conflict he's having, mm-hmm. wherein nobody knows that he succeeds or loses except for himself, and I think that's what makes the character of the priest, who is part of this frame narrative, so interesting, because ultimately the priest says very little, but Does becomes he say this
2: anything? ten he... lines, I believe.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he um, he becomes this just canvas for this. Interpersonal conflict to be sort of projected onto, because there was n- nobody knew. One of the most interesting scenes, things about that final scene we we're discussing earlier is that Mozart is so thankful that Salieri is there. Yeah, it's not even clear to his antagonist that he's being antagonized. You, you know, so I, I think that's what makes, to your point, Tanner, the narcissism and this confusion, this lack of understanding or or sort of like um, ability to just accept his position in the world. That's why I think it's so powerful and really at the core of what the movie's trying to say.
3: Yeah. And he is, I think he's also uh, obsessed with what Mozart thinks about him at a certain, to a certain extent. Oh, because very Because when obsessed. he's at the, in that masquerade party and Amadeus is, he's like flexing his knowledge in music and his ability. He's like, uh, give me someone to play. I'll play anybody. Uh, he, and he says, oh, this person's boring. This person's boring. And Salieri's behind his mask says, play Salieri. And he's like, <laughs> and Amadeus is ah, no, that is a challenge, and then farts d- during uh, pl- while well, playing like a very simple like bum 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 sort of sort it's of. It's the piece. thing
2: of 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 uh Schroeder from from <laughs> from Peanuts going bing 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 yeah. bing, 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 yeah. bing 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 bing. It's ostensibly the the like five hundred million dollar version of that. Whatever this mm-hmm. movie
3: costs, <laughs> and as basically as repentance for that, Salieri is like. I'm going to psychologically torture this man into Mm. his death. That's how much he has insulted me personally.
2: Yeah. Yeah. and I think that I want to quickly go over the wins and noms here for this movie because this movie is one of the most successful movies in Oscars history because it was nominated for 11 awards and won eight of them, which is Mm. on both levels, like incredibly, incredibly high. So for the ones that it was, uh, that it was nominated for, that it didn't win, it includes uh, cinematography and film editing, um, hmm. both of which were fantastic. And, and there's one more that I haven't mm-hmm. quite, haven't mentioned yet. Uh, but it was it was nominated for obviously best picture. Or it won sorry it won best picture. It won best director for Milos Forman, uh It won best art direction, best uh, costume design, best makeup, and best sound. And it also won for uh, F. Mur- F Murray Abraham won for best actor. And Tom Hulce was also nominated best actor. One of the few times in Oscars history where two people from the same film were nominated for that leading role award um, which I think makes this film really interesting I think what uh, the film's balance by the end becomes so Mozart centric that it isn't even though we've been talking mostly about Salieri for this, it's framed through his eyes but it is like it's like three fifths, two fifths Mm -hmm. in terms of, it's a little bit more Salieri but it's also quite a bit about Mozart's personal life. And we get a lot of scenes where Salieri isn't isn't present at all. There's like, I don't know, like a 15 minute sequence somewhere nearing the end where we don't even see Salieri because we're just uh, worried about uh, Mozart's life at home and the dynamic with his father and his wife and the fact that they're having a child and needing to make money because he's completely broke and he's teetering on the edge. The fact that we get two completely well-rounded characters and the time split between them feels fulfilling, um, but also also fulfills the weird subversion of, oh, this is actually not a Mozart story because it leans a little bit more Salieri than it does. Mozart is really fascinating. But it also gives Tom Holch, who I think, for me at least is the standout performance of this film, a lot of time to to delve into this character because frankly, when we were starting this film, and I knew it wasn't about Mozart specifically, and there was this weird framing thing. But I thought like, oh, you know, it's going to be, oh, this is fun. Molotov's going to be a side character, like kind of in the background the whole time. But that's that's not true. And he be, he does become a core central focus of the film, especially nearing the end. And it gives Tom Hulch a huge opportunity to explore a lot of range for this character that is incredibly talented and recognizes his own genius in, in very specific and overt ways. And viewing his creative process kind of fulfills that like deep, seated the need when we're watching a movie like this to like see the great person do the great thing that I I almost thought this movie wasn't going to show, uh, and it, it, so it's really fun to watch Celliari for that first you know a little over half of the film be like oh Mozart's great but also he's a he's a dumb monkey guy and then by the end you get to see Mozart be a dumb monkey guy but also be the genius that we know that he is.
3: Yeah, um, I think that comes across in a couple ways, and you're right. I I, I did want to talk more about Tom Holch as Amade- Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, yes. um, Wolfie. Wolfie, 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 excuse me. Uh, because he is great in his debauchery, of course. But as we get a portions of the film that focus on him, it is that debauchery, that 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 childlike sort of demeanor that he has is to cover up darker trauma that he has. He's been, I mean, uh, uh Salieri's father says it. He's been a performing animal since age five or something like that. And uh, I think the, his relationship with his father is all, is quite a bit of a focus here. And I love the reintroduction of Mozart's father, and when he's like posed at the, at top, the top of the of stairs, the stairs oh and like a bum 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 almost kind of moment, but it's like a, it's obviously grander than that. And then his dad like flips out his cape like in a Nosferatu sort of moment, mm-hmm. oh, which and then, I just watched. but but Mozart is like, Daddy, <laughs> as he comes like coming down the yeah,
0: stairs. Yeah, it's like a most menacing father you could ever like mm-hmm. fatherly most entrance. Most menacing father with banjo. Most menacing fatherly entrance, and uh, mm-hmm. and yet he and yet the way he reacts is like so opposite to what I thought was going to happen in that yeah. scene. Yeah,
3: uh, and the interplay that Mozart have, has with his father is is the relationship there is very clear that he fears his father, but yet wants his praise at the same time and his father is still a very domineering role in his life, um, and all these things. But also, um, I just want to shout out, uh, completely switching gears, Tom Holch performing and writing and stuff like that is fantastic. Apparently, he practiced for six hours a day for six months to be able to accurately play these Mozart pieces, Um, and as apparently music experts have pointed out in this film, none of us are any of that, are music experts in those ways, um, what you see is what you hear in this. When they are playing those notes on the piano, that is what you are hearing. They're not. They're not fussing around with that,
0: which is cool. Mm. Thanks for the dedication. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah, because I was
1: trying to notice
3: because there's moments where you'll just see
1: hands. Yeah. And the camera, the camera will pan back up. It won't cut back to a face. So I was like, oh, is, he, is he doing that? And I think that's quite impressive because the film, I think, situates him in a very interesting way because he begins as something to be looked at literally mm. he's introduced to this sequence of voyeurism as we're hiding behind like the 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 the, the sweet tarts or whatever mm-hmm. all those yeah. little puff pastries we got here in this room and, he, and Mozart's literally just something to look at and laugh at that's what he is mm-hmm. and, and then we sort of we come to sit with him more and we begin to realize that he's as you're saying Tanner incredibly tormented I mean he's got a He's got like a 25-foot Super Mario 64-style painting of his of his father uh-huh. in black on the wall behind him, right? And, and I think it's, it's, it's then compelling watching that arc of him going from this just kind of goofy and endearing kid to this man who is deeply, deeply addicted to alcohol and addicted to his work and unable to find anything in his life of meaning beyond that. And I think that's a really compelling and sad arc to follow, which then makes the fact that you are looking at the movie through Salieri's eyes for so much of it even more conflicting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because
1: he's, he's such a broken but ultimately well-intentioned person. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just seeing both these intimate moments of his failures, but then these voyeuristic moments of his like public clownishness. Mm-hmm. And the actual Mozart just gets so lost in that shuffle.
2: Yeah, I think that the reason why Mozart be- ends up at the end being a, a compelling, but like a character that we resonate with above like, oh, he's just ridiculous and a genius is that there is that well-intentioned nature to him. He's not doing any of the ridiculous things that he's doing with ill intent. He, he does. He's not out to hurt anyone. He has this this genuine care for music. And I really love the moments where he recognizes his own how imbalanced his own persona is in the world of, uh, he he said something like, uh, I might be the most ridiculous guy you've ever seen, but I assure you, my music is not, I, you know, terribly paraphrased. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't write this movie with a with a twenty foot pole. It'd be very hard to write. the truth agree. Yeah. Um, but is that we end up learning that he is doing all this with like genuine intent and that he's not malicious and that makes him some so a person that we can empathize with even if we're looking at him in both the biggest extremes possible of looking at him like he's just like a trash guy on the street or the greatest creator that the world has ever known.
3: Yeah. Uh oh I wanted to bring up uh talk, you you talk about his his creations, his work. And uh music. Yeah, his music, of course. Yes. And I ways. think it's so interesting. So something I ways. caught something I caught onto was the operas that we see in the film, we, we see a number of them. The ones that are not written and directed by Mozart are in English, and yet all of Mozart's are in German or Italian or what have you.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
3: find that really interesting. Oh, I thought th- that it... Th- oh. yeah, I guess you're I, right. I, 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 if I And that's a misremembering. But I, I seem to have caught that. And I think it's maybe to bring across this these feelings of this one is like real it's high art to english sure. audiences mm-hmm. uh, who don't understand that language whereas the other ones we understand but we can't understand the mozart ones because mm-hmm. they are some su- mm. are such strokes of genius and um yeah you yeah, could I, be right
0: about that i thought yeah. that they were just translating the stuff that should be in german into english because they speak english out loud in the movie in which they would have been speaking german out loud yeah and without accents at all, I, I might add. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I Okay, well, up on that point, um, I like that they don't speak with accents. I lo- no, I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. okay, okay.
3: Uh, it was also, Milos uh distinctly told them to don't worry about the accents. He wanted them to focus on the character itself and not getting, like, 100% the accent right or anything like that. Which
0: leads to performances that feel more grounded feels like these people are really talking to each other and i'm like yeah the austrians were not speaking english even if they're oh you know if we got to write the opera <laughs> like come on like don't do that don't do a stupid accent like we do like yep. just like you know yeah. we're smart we can understand that this is a movie you don't need it also
2: helps the movie feel more like modern and relatable mm-hmm. especially with yes. the characters because they are ridiculous they're wearing those giant wigs oh i it, love the wigs
0: i love the wigs in this. It's the movie. fact that
2: it
3: The costume and and hair is fantastic in this. I just want to say, got to shout that out. But continue, Tucker, sorry.
2: Absolutely, but I think it is, it's it's fantastic in the fact that it's so over-the-toply grandiose that the film is, in this weird, subversive way, focused on the imperfections and immaturities of the upper class and the fact that, yeah, they might think they're the greatest, but, and, and like, in retrospect, you know, people really revere Mozart. Oh, but there is this immaturity. There's this human, more relatable, more ridiculous, wacky side to these characters which is why I love this movie has a sense of humor to it. Uh, and and the fact that these characters are sometimes saying like turns of phrase and words that like, no, even translated. I don't think that those words translate to something that someone would say in 1984 when this movie was made. And I think that that, that, again, that makes it more relatable, but also like I was able to, I was able to connect to it more, but also understand the humor and also the reverence that people have for these, these high class and also, you know, high art people that I, Personally, have always like held at a distance, as I don't like classical music. I don't like seeing live music. I don't. I never. Honestly, I, don't, I only recognize like the one tune that he played at the mm. beginning. I like. I I didn't even recognize most of the Mozart here. Um, but I was able to understand them on a character and human level a little better because it was presented through English. They didn't have the ridiculous accents, and the movie had a sense of fun with itself. Where we we weren't watching uh the 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 queen in. Uh, Shakespeare in Love that's like very regal and serious and like this is how it eh. uh, and, and it's presented like this is what history is like it's very serious and it's important and blah 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 no these are just like people that uh, that have their pettiness and have their eccentricities just like we do in in, in the modern day
0: yeah um, I think yeah. that uh, works a lot to make the movie relatable and, and easily digestible by a, uh, a modern absolutely, audience.
2: absolutely yes that's a great term phrase there yeah
0: Uh, Tucker,
3: you mentioned not being a big fan of classical music, but people in 1984 apparently were because the soundtrack for this film, the all Mozart soundtrack, of course, uh, charted number 56 on the Billboard Billboard charts back in 84. For a soundtrack? uh, Making it very impressive. Yeah. One of the most successful classical music albums ever. Um, I think there was also a funny joke made at the Academy Awards by the uh, composer for Passage to India, uh, the David Lean film that won best score that year. Uh, where he said he's just he's just glad that um the score for Amadeus wasn't eligible, of course because it was entirely all uh, re- Mozart stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I-, I also
1: just want to shout out um i want to shout out Mozart's body being chucked into a mass grave oh, yeah yeah. Ooh, yeah i I think um I was thinking for a minute that the movie was gonna go on too long because. We we reach that moment of high tension, and then the death, and I'm like, "Brother, do we really need to show more? What what what's going to happen here of substance?" But I think the idea that this man whose life was so culturally significant and and was manifested itself so large in Salieri's head, he just gets thrown in a pit with everybody else and a shovel full of lies chucked on exactly top in well. the rain and. That's, That's it. it. That's it. Yep. That's it. I think it's a really melancholy and interesting way to end his story on, because then we go back to the the insane asylum, jail, hospital, hotel thing that that um, Salieri is in, and he continues on for but a I long that,
0: time that he makes a point yeah. of. We don't ever which what a what a great revelation. Well, we get it because he looks old as shit in the in the hospital, but. You know, he says, oh, it's 39 years. And I go, man, that's a long time to live with like zero purpose in your life. Because this Salieri's entire purpose is to be rid of Mozart. And he is, but he wasn't. Because of the way the film ends, he's he's unsatisfied for all those years. Yeah, absolutely. He
3: gets to, Mozart gets to, you know, die young and live on in fame. And Salieri gets to grow old and fall into obscurity. Yeah. The grand irony, the cruel irony of Antonio Salieri. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's a good film that's really well written when you, when you drop something like the whole, um, mm-hmm. playing the priest, the music bit at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the only music you recognize is a Mozart. You know, you're in for a good movie if that's how you open the film. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. That's incredibly clever.
0: And that part in the opening of the film is my, was my first, uh, because now it's time for the Timo's sound talk. Um, okay, here we go. Where where wherein we get to see this this the, the what I think is really impressive about the film is these moments where the characters reference music a lot. And um and we've talked about it in other in other parts of the film earlier, but where the characters like hum along or like are describing what is happening and they are doing it in time. Did you yeah. have any trivia so for that one scene at the end of the film, they're wearing earpieces. In the rest of the film probably, probably uh, yeah, the, the
3: music the music was played on set oh, okay uh, yeah they, they, i figured something not a, like that yeah, yeah
0: but the timing of that and the forethought to be like okay this scene in the theater it sounds like we hear the music in time with the dude talking and that requires a lot of prep and a lot of work to get done and so mm. i once i like realized what was happening i was like oh yeah and i was like but wait it like just the I'm very impressed by the, the the technicality of that and the way that it is used many times and that like the interiority of our characters in which we hear possibly what Mozart hears. does he when he looks at the page, does he hear the score? does he hear the music ring out? It kind of seems like Solieri does for sure. but mm-hmm. that idea uh, that that the audience can be brought with, it just makes it so much easier. like if you're trying to understand classical music and you can literally have like a do a character, Intelligently explaining what is going on in this music that you're yeah. spo- that you're s- supposed to know at least, yeah, it makes it so it's such a that's a nice thing to do to the viewer, which it doesn't assume that they know about the subject that not everyone does, but in an artistic and thematic and story cohesive way, like kind of just helps you out, gives you a leg up in understanding, and the way that it's used throughout the film in a number of times, um, is is very well done, and the. That editing man must have taken freaking forever to get the sound right, mm-hmm. fellas. Timo, should we speaking of score?
3: Yeah, should we release okay. our ingenious, masterful uh, scores that will be remembered for the rest of time, or who mm. who among us's score will be uh, will fade into obscurity and be forgotten? Wow, among us. Among, thank you. I regretted it as I said it, and thank you for thank you for making that regret well founded, oh, Abram. As
2: some character in this movie says, "Amongst us," I'm like, "Oh my so god!" Sad. I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> what could have? Been? You ever think about how our brains are broken from that? <laughs> Just like forever, probably.
1: Yeah. yeah. Three,
3: two, two one. one. Wait. Beep-oh, beep-oh, beep-oh. Calculating, 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 calculating. Wow!
0: Nice. There we go. We got a score. It is Ooh. the exact oh same score God. as the <gasps> film from the previous episode, 9.2. So we're going to have to do a little tie-breaking between In Amadeus and In the Heat of the Night. Good thing both of those are right on the top of our memory. Um, mm-hmm. The point breakdown started from the top. Abram gave it a 9.7. Tanner, or no, Tucker gave it a 9.3. Tanner gave it a 9.2, and I gave it an 8.5. So, yeah. Yeah. There we are. This this
1: is for the 10th position. I'm going Amadeus yeah. above.
0: Okay, okay. I'm going right. In the Heat of the Night. I'm going In the Heat of the Night. I'm
3: also going to go In the Heat of the Night. Sorry, Abram. Sorry, Ooh, Abram.
0: That's fine. They're both great movies. <laughs> they're, they're both, both fantastic
2: films. God, this is a great top 10, guys. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, top 11, huh?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I wasn't counting Amadeus. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> a great top 10. Yeah. <laughs>
3: uh so yeah that means uh that amadeus will go at number 11. above no country for old men and below in the heat of the night that's
0: Mm. a good triple feature well it's a long (laughs) triple feature (laughs) well there you go our first movie of 2023 on the list and for a while the last one because we're going to move over to a little shorter more manageable easily or digested list for the next set of films that we're going to be doing. But mm-hmm. man, I have very enjoyable to round out this big big chapter of Quest ends ends and begins with the uh, with the Oscar ceremony. So there we go. Amadeus, spot number 11.
3: Yeah. Rock and roll everyone. Thank you for watching on uh, this singular one channel, but of course re- remember, if you made it this far, you got to go to a back lot banter for the rest of Quest. Uh, and that includes, is, is kept being kicked off with Everything, Everywhere, All at Once as part of our 2023 Oscar nominations, or 2022, however you want to slice it. Mm-hmm. The ones from this le- this past year.
0: The ones that haven't yes. come out
3: yet. And
1: yes, this this one is coming out on the 18th, so yes, we are guessing the nominations. That is yeah. 100% what we're doing. We feel we are pretty guessing. confident.
2: Okay, we feel Our, pretty we're gonna confident. We're going to look like giant idiots. We're going to have video evidence of us being idiots if <laughs> that's not true somehow. Hey, lots schedule... of people are going to have video
3: evidence of them being idiots. If, if right. Right. everywhere. Our schedule
0: requires that we record an episode on like the day that the, the nominations come out, and so yeah. we need to guess. But I think it's a good guess. We shall see, of course. The yeah. Academy could do something funny, but. <laughs> Everything Everywhere All at Once uh, is a film that I have yet to see. Huh. I didn't catch it when it came out in theaters almost a year ago. Um, and then just kind of, I don't know. Three times.
1: There's a 4K 4. copy in my mailbox right now, which I'm going to go grab as soon as we
3: hit stop recording. I stole it, actually.
2: Oh No. I
3: opened it,
1: too. What
2: I'm does do it again? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay. Thanks for watching, everybody.
0: We will see you for everything everywhere all at once. Over on back lot banter. Until then, peace.